0: It's been said that there's only one monument in the world that was built over a tomb with nobody inside. (coughs) There are plenty of monuments over tombs with bodies inside. New York City has Grant's tomb, and Arlington National Cemetery has the tomb of the unknown soldier. You can go to Red Square in Moscow and see Lenin still lying in state with his body eerily preserved. There are the tombs of the ancient pharaohs in Egypt. And those are empty now, mostly. Grave robbers over the centuries have gotten to them. But they're empty by mistake. They certainly weren't built to be that way. And so the church in Jerusalem is different. Westerners mostly call it the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which, of course, is a fancy way to say the church of the holy tomb. And Easterners mostly just call it the church of the resurrection, which is what happened there. And at its heart is this little enclosure built around and over an empty tomb hewn out of the rock. Now, is it the tomb of Jesus? Perhaps. Of course, there's no way to really know. All we know for certain is that the Romans who first built that church in the 300s believed that it was. And we do know that ever since then, that place has been prayed in day in and day out without interruption, which surely makes it a special place no matter what. But in the end, whether that particular tomb is the tomb, the one we heard about in today's gospel reading, isn't the most important thing. Because unlike Grant's tomb, or Lenin's tomb, or the tomb of the unknown soldier, you don't go there to pay your respects to the body inside. Now, of course, you can pay your respects to Jesus there, but not just there. The only place in the world that you can see Lenin is in Moscow. But you never know where you might meet Jesus. Because although Jesus had a tomb, He didn't stay there. Now those Egyptian pharaohs planned on staying in theirs. They stocked their tombs well, with everything they thought they would need in the afterlife. Maybe you've seen a museum exhibit or an article about King Tutankhamen's tomb, full of gold and jewels and food and musical instruments and recreational things, and even little statues of slaves to do the manual labor for the pharaoh in case it should be needed in the next life, replicating the same old power structures from this life in the next. But Jesus didn't have much to stock his tomb. A few linen wrappings, which he left behind once he didn't need them anymore. The women came to stock his tomb with spices, but by that time, he was already gone. I read a piece commenting on this gospel story recently that pointed out what a difference it makes here in Luke's gospel that the women actually step inside the tomb. Luke says, when they went in, they did not find the body. And it's then that the women meet these two men in dazzling clothes, angels perhaps, who tell them that Jesus is risen, and they believe. And contrast that to what happens later when Peter arrives. And Peter doesn't go in. The story tells us he sort of stoops down and looks in from the outside. And he sees the linens and he is amazed and goes home. Confused. Hoping against hope, perhaps. But he has not yet fully come to believe. Peter is not yet all the way on board the resurrection train, it is the women who have heard the good news. Because only they actually go all the way in and stand where Jesus was in the place of gloom and death. Now these were the same women that had stayed with Jesus at the cross, while Peter fearful for his own life, was lying and saying he didn't even know Jesus. Now Peter will eventually meet the risen Jesus and come to believe. And he will go on to be redeemed and become a great preacher of the good news. But here in this moment, it's the women who hear the good news, who are not believed by the male disciples yet. And it is the women who have heard the good news first because it's only they who are willing to step all the way in and face the full reality of suffering and death. It's sort of like when Jesus came to live as one of us. Because Jesus didn't just stoop down and look from outside at the human condition. He came all the way in. This is the word of God we're talking about. One with the Father from all eternity, dwelling in light and glory indescribable. But Jesus wasn't content to stay that way. Rather than holding on to his power and privilege, he let it all go and was born as one of us, and not a particularly rich or powerful one. A traveling preacher and healer going from town to town, in a small province under the occupation of a big empire, talking about God's love, healing the sick, and putting God's love into effect through his very presence wherever he went. But Jesus even came farther in than that. He didn't just come to relieve our suffering, he knew our suffering from the inside because he tasted it as one of us. He knew the frustration of being misunderstood. He knew the sting of being betrayed by a close friend. He knew the fear of death. And not just death, but maybe worse, the fear of pain and the fear of shame and humiliation. Jesus knows what it is to be human. He knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to feel alone. And in the suffering, and aloneness, and anxious, uncertain times of our own lives, that's a truth we can hold on to. Jesus didn't just stoop down from the outside. He came all the way into this tomb with us. And he doesn't intend to leave us there. Maybe you've seen Eastern Orthodox icons of the resurrection of Jesus there are some prayer cards in your pews with this image on them. And I hope that you'll pass them to one another if you're not near one and take one home with you. And these orthodox icons of the resurrection tend to show Jesus practically springing out of Hades with the gates of hell lying shattered at his feet. And they don't show him alone. Instead they show Jesus reaching down to grasp Adam by one wrist and Eve by the other, symbolically taking all of humanity by the hand and yanking us bodily out of our tombs. That's the promise God is offering us today. That's the promise Jesus is offering you today, to yank you out of your tomb. Jesus who loves us and gave himself for us is alive not just resuscitated to live some more of the same life and then die again, but alive forever in a new and eternal life. And that life isn't just for him alone. He came to share it with us. We can share in the resurrection of Jesus, not only in the next life, although there too, thank God, because that means that death is no longer the obliteration of all our hopes and loves, but one moment in our journey deeper into the heart of God. But we also don't have to wait for death. We don't have to wait till we're in our own physical tombs for Jesus to start yanking us out of Hades. The new life of freedom and joy in Jesus is here for the taking, right now. Last night at the great vigil of Easter, we baptized two new members into that resurrection life. And we renew our own connection to that life every time we gather around this table to receive the holy food and drink of Jesus' own body and blood. And it's that risen life that we seek to practice here in this community, week after week, day after day, as we share our lives together and care for the sick and feed the hungry, as we study scripture and sing and serve. A few minutes ago we sang the psalm that says open for me the gates of righteousness. Open for me the gates of the Lord. Today the doorway out of the tomb is the gate of righteousness. This week we have stepped deep into the dark tomb with Jesus. We face the reality of all the world's brokenness and evil head on. And in the face of it all we sing our alleluias. Knowing that the stone is rolled away and Jesus calls us out into a new and risen life. Hallelujah! Christ is risen.